certain God's going to do something great in this service. Obadiah, verse 17, please. Obadiah, verse 17 and 18. And then we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 13 right after that. Obadiah, verse 17 and 18. And then Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 through 15. But upon Mount Zion shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph shall be a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble, and they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau. Esau always represents the flesh or the appetite for the Lord hath spoken it Hebrews chapter 13 when you have it say amen all right there is a sense someone said there's a sense in which revival is like a prairie fire ignited by a bolt of lightning from the heavens without organization advertising or even sometimes human leadership revivals have altered the hearts of men, the social attitudes of millions, and the destinies of nations. Everyone say the power of revival. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Look at their life but imitate their what? Faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods which are of no benefit to those who do so. Verse 10, we have an altar. I want you to say those four words. Come on. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering. But the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that openly profess his name. I'm going to preach this morning where the fire never goes out. I want you to say that to four people around you where the fire never goes out. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Thank you for people who are hungry to receive their narration of their destiny. And we stand today with our robes dipped in the blood of an unblemished lamb. And we rebuke every generational curse. It's broken now in Jesus' name. We resist and dismiss every generational spirit that would be diametrically opposed to our destinies. Have your way today in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Let's clap our hands and give him praise, please. Come on, let's everybody praise him today. Bless your name, Jesus. I want you to go to five people and tell them I am hungry to receive a word from the Lord today. Amen. God is good. As I was praying today, I wrote some things down that I want to read to you and I'll approach this message very tenderly and then we'll see what evolves as we progress through this word today. 
I have said recently that developing a culture is far more difficult than casting a vision. Culture happens by design or by default, but culture will happen. Every culture has its own language, even its own dialect. The church, the body of Christ, the family of God, has evolved in an incredible fashion over the last two decades. What used to work does not work anymore. It sounds different. It looks different. It feels different. And when I say what used to work does not work anymore, I'm not talking about the blood of Jesus, the word of God, the name of Jesus, prayer, fasting, prophesying, worship, or praise. I'm not talking about the message. I'm talking about the method. Social media has been the catalyst to much, to much of the culture shift that we see in this generation. Because the church has taken on a new culture, its presentation has been reformed, its language has been transformed. It's very exciting to see it. It's more exciting to experience it. However, Listen carefully to Pastor Rick this morning. There is a challenge that presents itself, in my opinion, to the maturity of the believer in regards to contemporary Christianity. We hear phrases like, preach as if you are speaking to a second grader. <laughs> then all will understand. And I get that in relation to reach, but it does not fit in relation to growth. If I speak to you as a second grader every week, I will produce people who perceive God at a second grade level. Hebrews 1 one says, therefore, let us move beyond, or should be Hebrews 6, one says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward into maturity. I've learned something about this generation, and all generations have pretty much rest in this position. Milk. It's better than meat. So I believe that it is the responsibility of preachers, preachers, to not just be good storytellers, but to put a demand on the hearts and minds of the people of God. Put a demand on the hearts and the minds of the people of God like the Apostle Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15 as Timothy was a very young man. Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not be ashamed but rightly dividing the word of truth. Therefore, when we read a text like we read today, it will call for you to think like a believer, not like one who is not interested in truth. It takes hunger. It takes desire. It takes curiosity. And it takes interest to move you forward in your relationship with God. I want us to look at one verse from Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 10 today. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. We're preaching today a series entitled House on Fire. Some of you will not recognize this name. 
Leonard Ravenhill, one of the greatest revivalists of all time. Here's what he said about a house on fire. He said, you don't have to invite people to a house on fire. They just want to come and watch it burn. Let me get to our text because I'll go off a little bit on that. Upon our initial look at this scripture, it's very simple. Hebrews 13, 10. Our altar is Jesus. And the way it used to be is not the way it is now. New Testament living requires no literal sacrifice. Jesus is that sacrifice. It requires no lamb. Jesus is the lamb. It requires no altar because Jesus is the altar. What is concealed in the Old Testament is revealed in the New. The writer in Hebrews gives an exhortation to the church. The encouragement suggests that there are many Godly amenities provided to the people of God. These assets include a Christ that does not change, a heart that is established in grace, a blood that washes clean, a city that is to come, a Savior who is everlasting. We want to focus our attention today on this particular article, the altar. Let me say before I continue to the young people in this sanctuary. When I say young, I'm talking about 20 to 30. 15 to 20. <clears throat> I beseech you. Not to become complacent in your walk with Jesus Christ. Be hungry enough to get the Bible out, even if it's on your smart device, and read it. I encourage you to get the Word of God out. If it's on a laptop in a leather cover, open it. Study it, read it, meditate on it. Quit building your relationship with God on the latest, greatest message from your celebrity preacher. I fear that because being a pastor in this generation is so popular, that truly the statement I made last week that we are making stars in the church instead of being light to the world is really coming to pass. There has to be something authentic. There has to be something genuine, tangible, something recognizable something that is distinguished and distinct about the church of Jesus Christ. So there is a tedious balance between revelatory preaching and preaching that people can readily relate to. That equilibrium comes with great caution and you can't approach it with a sense of irresponsibility. So every Sunday and Wednesday when preachers mount pulpits, they have an agenda. And their agenda is to move people closer to the cross and in a deeper relationship with Christ. The mantle of that responsibility on that individual in that moment is eternal. It's not temporal. If he preaches for the applause of the people, 
and he misses the announcements of heaven over purpose. Then he's wasted 45 minutes of your time and he's wasted 45 minutes of his own time. We cannot approach the event we call a church service with a, with a mediocre attitude expecting an everlasting result. It's not going to happen. So the responsibility flows both ways. It flows from the man of God who wears the mantle in the moment and it flows from the sanctuary of the saints of God who come hungry enough to receive something that will push them further in their prophetic future and away from their historical past. So I'm challenged today. I'm challenged today to speak to young people and tell them I'm not here to talk to you like you're in kindergarten. I'm here today with a responsibility to charge an older crowd. You're not everything you think you are. You don't know as much as you think you know. And what has happened in this generation is we have exchanged energy for strength. We have red Kool-Aid services. And we build churches based and built on what we call fantastic events. If we can get monkeys in the sanctuary, Ferris wheels in the foyer, whatever it takes to get crowds that's what we do. We bring clowns and horses and little ponies. Whatever it takes to get people on the property, we do it. Things have changed. So I hear young people saying, Pastor Rick, you're preaching over my head. That is not my problem. That rests on two people. Number one, the preachers you've been listening to who tell great stories but do not get in the depth of Scripture. And then number two, your parents who didn't raise you right. To teach you to get in the Word of God for yourself, that the Word of God is a lamp unto your feet and a light into your back. You don't even know how to walk until you get some word in you. So the more we can placate and pat people on the back and tell them they are all of that and you're living your best life now, the better they feel about themselves and no one has changed. Because you jump and sweat on Sunday and Monday you go back to the same life you've been living for the last 10 years. Until your mind changes, the matter of life will never change. So I told you I would tediously approach this word today. I hope you've enjoyed my caution because I'm about to release some fire in here. But I needed to just kind of ease up on this message and tell you kind of where I am. I've, I've been doing this for over 35 years. I think we're living you know, in our best times as the church and our worst times at the same time. We're building crowds. I'm not sure we're building congregations. We're building followers. I'm not sure we're making disciples. Because if we were really building disciples, people would not be spending lunch money and lunch time and dinner time with other couples to destroy leaders in the church. We will not be going over to people's houses to have gossip meetings instead of Bible studies. So I'm not sure we're, we're doing it right, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and get in the word. I need you to look at about three people and ask them, are you okay right now? Are you, it's all right. It seems to me that we're doing our dead level best to look and feel most like the world instead of having that distinction come out from among them and be ye separate. I will be your God and you shall be my people. That doesn't mean you shouldn't be salt. 
There's that balance. Do you see the struggle? Is this too real for you? You're going to learn today. So the question is, where do people go that do not know God in a time of confusion? Here's the distinction. Our text says we have an altar. In a world torn and tattered, we have an altar. There are those that long for refuge out there. We have an altar. If you are going through and can't seem to locate peace, you have an altar. Abraham was a man that built altars. Lot was a man that built tents, and that's the difference. Lot was always building something temporary, and Abraham was always building something permanent. Be careful of a generation that builds temporary fascination and does not release permanent revelation. Aaron and his sons knew about the altar. I believe the altar will be renewed in the last hour of the church. The altar is the place of surrender, the place of sacrifice, the place of security, the altar is the place of change, the place of charge, and the place of challenge. And our text says we have an altar. Hmm. The altar is a part. Part of what? In the Pentateuch, the altar was a part of the tabernacle, which means it's built after a pattern. God is a divine designer of destiny. Exodus 25, 9 says, the Lord speaking, according to all I show you, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of the instruments thereof, even so, so shall you make it. Everyone say, follow the pattern. The pattern has not changed, y'all. I remember Mama Josie used to sew a lot. And she used to have those paper patterns. that had those dots on it. Little dashes. And if you followed the pattern, it came out perfect. But if you got away from the pattern, something just did not look right and feel right. I've learned this, that if we will just build our life after the pattern that God gave us, we will have permanent success in our purpose in this earth. Somebody give him praise here real quick. See, Noah had a pattern. Solomon had a pattern. Zerubbabel had a pattern. All builders in scripture have a pattern. You have a pattern. It's real simple. Follow the Bible. As a matter of fact, refer to the Bible before you refer to the latest Facebook post. See if it matches the pattern of Scripture. If it don't match, it's not right. The tabernacle had a purpose. It's found in verse 8 of Exodus 25. And he said, let them make me a sanctuary that I can dwell among them. See, from the beginning of time, God said, I want to dwell with my people. So let them build a sanctuary Exodus 25, 8, that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you after the pattern of the tabernacle. The word dwell means there to reside with or to stay with 
or take up residence with. God's desire always has been to tabernacle with his people. But God does not tabernacle among strange fire. And he does not tabernacle among strange patterns. And he doesn't show up among strange teaching. That's what our text said today. To tabernacle is to house with for the purpose of covering you. So John 1.14 says, And the word was made flesh and tabernacle among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. He tabernacled with us. To tabernacle in the Greek is from the idea of entwining or fabric, making fabric that is woven together. So when Jesus tells the apostle Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. In the Greek it reads like this, I have intertwined my life into yours. That your faith will not fall. See, when he tabernacles among you, he's got your back. We need tabernacles among you. He ever lives to make intercession for you. God is a good God, isn't he? See, there's these particulars in the pattern. And one of them is this thing called the altar. The Bible says in Exodus 28, verse 1, you shall make the altar of acacia wood. And he said, I want you to make it five cubits long and five wide. The altar shall be four square, and the height thereof shall be three cubits. Put horns on all four sides. When I looked at the measurements of the altar, I start getting this revelation because I studied it. And if you'll really look deep in Scripture, young folk, you will find things that are buried like treasures. They're like nuggets of gold called revelation. That if you'll just care enough not to treat the gospel and the word like you're sitting at Sonic pressing a button or you're on your smart device hitting an Instagram picture to see what everyone else is. But you get in the word and dig in that word till you find stuff that looks just like ordinary superficial writing, but beyond the surface, there are nuggets of revelation that can bring light to your inner being that will cause you to see the greatness of God and the greatness that dwells in yourself. Whew. So when we look at five and three, how it was built, five is the number of grace, three is the number of divinity, so at the altar you find divinity coupled with grace because it takes God and grace for you to be successful in life. It's made of acacia wood, the same wood that is used in building all the furniture of the tabernacle. Acacia wood is known as iron wood. We talked about it last week. It cannot be penetrated by insects. It's the same wood that the mighty warriors used to make their arrows out of. Whew! Why? Because it was hard. It would not bend. It did not compromise its position. It did not negotiate what it stood for. If we would cut our children out like acacia would, to say you can't bend to peer pressure at your school. You can't bend to drugs and alcohol and participating in stuff that your peers are playing with in your high school and in your middle school. You have to stand strong. Then the Bible says it's covered with brass. You shall make the horns of the four corners. And then he says, overlay the altar with brass. And I thought, why brass? And then I began to study the word brass. And it means dug from the earth. That's where we came from. The dust of the earth. God dug you out of the earth. He said overlay it with brass. The purpose of brass in the Old Testament was mirrors. That's all they had to use to see themselves. So I learned something. 
When you walked into the tabernacle and you saw the altar, the first thing you saw was you. See, when you see the ark, it's overlaid with gold, same wood. But gold is representative of deity. Gold represented God. So when you looked at the ark, you saw God. But when you looked at the altar, you saw yourself. God is never going to change. It's you who has to change. So I prayed for you today. And I said, Lord, give us a fresh look at the altar. Let us go into the tabernacle today, into your presence, and see the altar. Because when we look at the altar, we see the flaws in our own self. And when you spend time looking at the altar, you don't have enough time to be looking at everybody else. If you're in the altar long enough, you begin to adjust what's wrong with you and you stop worrying about trying to fix everybody else. And I came today to ask you to meet me at the altar. Don't meet me at a table of gossip. Don't meet me at a table of conversation. But come today and let's get back where it all started. Let's get back in God tabernacling with his people. Let's look at that ark one more time and say, that's where God lives. That's his mercy seat. And let's look at that altar one more time and say, God, whatever is wrong in me, fix it. Somebody shout hallelujah in the building. I'm going to get on with it because now I feel my help coming. But he said, make horns on all four corners of that altar. And I started thinking about that. One on each corner. The horn is what protruded. It's a projection. Denoting the idea that when you grab the horns of prayer, when you grab the horns of sacrifice, you grab the horn of intercession, You begin to see yourself somewhere in your future because now you're not looking at the side of the brass. But now you're holding on to something that can shoot you into your future. I wish I had a church that could hear the same horn that Samuel brought or saw Samuel brought to the house of David. Same kind of horn. And it's filled with oil. Saul was anointed with a flask, but David was anointed with a horn of oil. Because when you get a hold to the horn, it shows you what you are becoming in your future, not what you've been in your past. I'm asking you today, meet me at the altar. I came here today to talk to you about a little brass thing with four horns called the altar of the tabernacle. Four horns. Four represents the tributaries that flowed into the Garden of Eden. Everything you need is found at the altar. Four represents the winds of heaven that Ezekiel prophesied to when he was looking at dry bones. And he said, prophesy to the four winds of the earth and tell these bones to live again. Because when you're at the altar, you can begin to prophesy that everything, everything that is dead and tell it to live again. I'm sorry, y'all. The altar has four horns. It represents the four parts of the day. The morning, the noon, the evening, and midnight. I've learned something. That every hour of every day, I need him. And when the priest would go in, whatever time it was in the day, they would hold on to the altar and they would pray. The four horns represent the four seasons which tells me if I want to make it through a bad season, I only have one thing to hold on to. And that's the altar that is found in the presence of God. That if I can hold on to the horn, I can make it through this season of depression. If I can hold on to the horn, I can make it through this season of hurt and pain and confusion. Somebody shout, hold on to the altar. Whatever season you're in, hold on to the altar. Whatever you're going through, hold on to the altar. What have your kids watched you hold? What have they listened to you hold on to? Why have you held on to it for so long that it's all you can talk about? I came to tell you today, change your grip. Let go of stuff 
that is in you that's not healthy and grab hold of stuff that your kids can say. I saw my mama pray her way right through it. I watched my daddy intercede his way right through that year. I'm sorry, but four is the number of balance and stability. It's the number of enduring and security. Then when you're holding on to the altar, you find the ability to endure anything you may be going through in life. When you hold on to the horns of the altar, it brings a sense of security that money can't give you. Annuities cannot bring you. Retirement accounts cannot fix for you. Friends cannot bring it to your life. Only God can do it. It's called the altar. I'm asking you today, meet me at the altar. Let's go back to the altar. Let's go back to the place of our first love. Somebody shout, hold on to the altar. Psalm 18, two, the Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God and my strength. In him will I trust. He's my butler and he's the horn of my salvation. When I have nothing left, I still got God. When I have no more friends, I still have the Lord. When my family walks out to me, on me, I still got the Lord as my salvation. The altar's not put just any place in the tabernacle. But the altar is put specifically in the door. Exodus 40, 29 says, put the altar in the door of the tabernacle in the tent of the congregation. Why? Because God said the first thing you see when you walk into my presence is the altar. Put it in the door. Woo! Because the door represents your passage. The door represents your portal. In other words, you will never visit my altar and leave the same way you came in. Whew. You'll never leave my altar and be the same person you were when you approached it. See, the altar has a purpose. The Bible's very explicit in Leviticus chapter 1 about the purpose of the altar. Lord, I pray these people are hearing this. The purpose of the altar in the door, the place in the door was for burnt offerings. Burnt offering is the first of the five offerings that God commanded from his people. The word burnt offering in Hebrew means you're gonna go up. That when you show up at the altar, the first thing God says when he looks at you is you're about to come up out of the place you have been dwelling in. Whew. And you were to offer on that altar, not Sundays and Wednesdays, Wednesdays. You were to offer on that altar every single day, according to scripture. Every day the priest had to offer on that altar. I'll end it. Somebody shout, meet me at the altar. Leviticus 6 says this in verse 8, the Lord spake to Moses, command Aaron and his son, saying this is the law of the altar, the law of the burnt offering. Because of the burning upon the altar all night unto the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be burning in it. Verse 13 says, the fire shall ever be burning upon the altar. It shall never go out. Yeah. So make, let me make it contemporary for the second graders. Fire means passion. Things you're excited about. I do not get why it's okay for us to shout and get so excited. I'm just being trivial here, but, uh, you know, just give me a moment of frivolity here. Why do you freak out at a Thunder game? I wish I could have been in your living rooms yesterday watching the Red River rivalry. I know in my house I had to get up three or four times when LSU beat Florida and do my James Brown 
do my James Brown dance because I was so excited and I'm screaming, Go Tigers! And y'all were shouting, Boomer! Boomer! Because you beat the Longhorns. But we come to church and we look for fire. We look for passion. We, we look for that zeal and we look for that vehemence. And somehow when you first got saved, you were on fire. And you wanted to tell everybody you knew about the Jesus you met. And you would stay up three or four hours praying in the spirit. But now you're too mature. Now you know too much and you don't take all that anymore. But my Bible says, never lose your spiritual zeal. Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift of God that is within you. In the, Hebrew, in the Greek it reads like this, fan into flame the fire that is in your bosom. And nobody preaches like this anymore because it seems the more passive we can make you, the more pliable you are. And it's not true. The more passionate you become, the further you go in your purpose. I'm here to tell you, you are not everything God has ordained you to be. Christianity is always the process of becoming. And you're not going to become anything you're not passionate about. You are where you are because you lost your passion about being somewhere else. Somebody shout, turn up the heat. Yeah, fire gets attention. You can feel it from a distance. Keep the fire burning. So how do you do it? Woo! So every day, these priests, which you are, according to 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 9, you are a royal priesthood that's you every day they had to go with shovels and they had to take the ashes out of the altar and take them outside the camp and throw them in the streets why they throw them in the streets so that the warriors coming in from the battlefield could walk on the ashes as signs of victory that the fire that was burning in the altar was giving them the victory on the battlefield we're losing battles in the battlefield because nobody's interceding in the house. We're losing teenagers out there because we're not teaching them to pray in here. So he said, take the ashes out every day and throw them in the streets so the warriors can trample on them and enjoy the victory of warfare. The victory wasn't won on the battlefield. The victory was won in the tabernacle. Because if you didn't take the ashes out, the ashes would pile up and put the fire out. And some of you are wondering why you don't have the fire you used to have. And it's simple. You have not taken, you haven't taken the ashes out. You're still living with what has burned you in your life. You're still living with bitterness against the church because you was burned in the church. You still can't follow leaders because your pastor hurt you. Take the ashes out. Your marriage does not have the fire it used to have because she did something that you will not let go of. And you keep reminding her, this is what you did 10 years ago and the fire is going out and there's no passion in your marriage because you can't let go of a mistake. Take the ashes out. Are y'all in church today? I came today to tell you if you want the fire to burn, you got to let it breathe. And the only way to let it breathe is you've got to get burned stuff out of your life. Somebody jump up and shout, it's over, it's over, it's over. Come on, shout it, it's over. It's over. Get over it. Tell four people around you, get over it. Yeah, he hurt you. Your heart was broken. Get over it. I dare you to shout, I'm getting my fire back today. Can I keep on going here? Can I finish this word? Y'all don't push me too hard. Don't push me too hard. 
Now watch. Leviticus 6.12. The fire on the altar shall be burning. Say these words with me. It shall not be put out. John the Baptist said, there's one that is coming after me that shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And what? Why don't we ever preach on that? Because it takes effort and energy to keep fire burning. <laughs> Woo! Somebody told me the other day, Pastor Rick, you'll never have a church that excited again because your congregation's too old. I'm just telling you. They said, you saw that fire in Tulsa in Michael Todd's church because everyone in there was 30 years old and younger. So they got enough energy, they've got enough effort in them to stay excited, but they'll be 40 one day. And they'll be 45 one day. And they'll be 50 one day, and they won't be excited as excited then as what you saw in that building. I didn't set well with me. I just kind of got uncomfortable about all of that. I didn't like it. I like that. I don't like that don't fit well. I don't like the way that feels. And I, I didn't compare our church to any other church. I compared myself to other preachers. That's all I can do. And I said, God, when I stop preaching with fire, let me retire. If I can't come with fire, then I would rather retire. And I said, if, I've got, if I'm going to have fire, I learned something. The quickest way to start fire is with fire. You can't come in here with no fire and expect your people to be on fire. So I came in here to bother you a little bit, to agitate you a little bit. You ever seen that fire going out in your fireplace and you get that little prod and you begin and all of a sudden it begins to build up a flame and then it turns into a fire again? Well, guess what I came in here with today? A prophetic prod to tell you, come on, come on. You're not too old to be excited about what God is doing in this earth. We've not been in this too long that we should be losing our spiritual zeal. Touch your neighbor and tell them, be careful. Because if you get too close, the fire I'm burning with is going to get on you. If you get close to me, you're going to catch on fire. My Bible tells me I'm supposed to live with an ever-burning fire. Jesus came to baptize me with the Holy Ghost and fire. Look at four people and tell them, get your fire back. Get your passion back. Get your zeal back. Get your behemoths back. Now let's make it practical. There's no incense without fire. There's no incense without fire. There's no worship without fire. There's no worship without fire. Incense requires fire. If you want to be a real worshiper, then you got to catch all. I dare you to swing your arm like you swing in the incense. Come on. Let your worship go and catch. Lord, return the fire to every believer. The excitement, the enthusiasm, the passion. God, send it back to this church. Send it back to these families. Lord, I pray you drop a fire down on this family. Watch what he says. Watch what he's whoa. Watch what he says here. He says every day in Leviticus 6:12, he said, in order to keep it burning, you gotta rearrange it. Somebody shall rearrange it. You have to rearrange the wood. What do you mean? Quit sitting by the people you always been sitting by. Rearrange yourself. 
get next to somebody that is on fire that if you're losing your fire you can catch their fire somebody shall rearrange some of y'all need to quit coming in this church and sitting in the same old seat that's why you ain't feeling nothing because you ain't been moved you're still singing that old hymn that says I shall not be moved and you ain't moving because you can't feel nothing and it's time to rearrange yourself rearrange your family daddy get where you're supposed to be husband get in the place you're supposed to be somebody shall rearrange I'm about to stop Woo. It's a real practical question. How do you keep the fire burning perpetually? <laughs> All right. Shout this as loud as you can. Do not forsake the altar. Do not forsake the altar. See, we've left the altar out of our teaching. Because the altar requires change. The altar does not tell you you're okay. The altar tells you you're not okay. The altar tells you you need to change this and fix that and put that back where it's supposed to be. So we have literally and practically a designated place in this building we call the altar. It is where we experience Jesus. It's where we alter our behavior at the altar of sacrifice. See, Elder Kerry, I get real concerned about this generation because of the way they build a new sanctuary. And I love it. You know, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm into what these guys are doing. I love it. But as a guy that's been in this while, I see things that concern me. You've got to give people a space for change. So now we're building churches with no altar. These altars were established in the early church. It's a place in the front of the platform. Oh, Jesus, help me here, Lord. Where the people could come and weep to God. Lay out before God. And if you don't have but two feet between the preacher and the people. All right, let me, let me finish this thing. Are y'all okay? So the question is, how do we keep the fire burning? It's real simple. Don't forsake the altar. Like you two guys getting up while I'm preaching. Please don't ever stop doing that. You know what? And, and if it gets on those people's nerves, those people can leave. Just, I love Brienne getting up. Jocelyn getting up. I love Bree getting up and Christian and Isaiah getting up. Why? Because these are fire sticks. So you say, how do we keep the fire burning? Number one is what? Do not forsake the altar. <laughs> I don't know if y'all ready for this one. The fire shall, shall ever be burning in the altar. It shall never go out in the altar. Let's go back to our text. Just remain right where you are. Go back to the text. We have an altar. And then he tells you, Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is the lamb. Jesus is the altar. But when you get to verse 15, it gets real interesting. Because he says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually. How do we keep it going? <laughs> through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God, not a lamb, not an animal, how do you keep the fire burning? Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of our lips. Every time, son, you shout to God and you lift your hands and you praise him. Every time you do that, you're keeping your fire burning. 
Christian, every time you open your mouth and begin to jump with Maverick in the altar and you're praising, the fire is burning. The way we keep the fire burning is we continually offer what a sacrifice of praise. Sacrifices don't always feel good. God ain't looking for people that'll praise him when everything's right. God is looking for a people that says, even though it don't feel right, things ain't going right, I'm going to praise him anyway. And I'm not going to do it for 30 seconds. I'm going to do it continually. And when I do it continually, I'm probably going to get on somebody's last nerve. But I am not going to let the rocks cry out in my place. Jesus said, if you don't praise me, the rocks will cry out in your place. Until you get a house of praise, you will never have a house on fire. Until you get a people of praise, you'll never have a house on fire. Praise is ridiculous. Praise is spinning. Praise is jumping. Praise is running. Praise is shouting. Praise is clapping. Praise is dramatic. Praise. We need our praise back. When we get our praise back, we'll get our fire back. It's not time for you to stop praising. It's time for you to praise like you have never praised before. Do you need a reason to praise him? I'll give you one. You're clothed, you're breathing in and out. You're probably gonna go eat a Big Mac after church. You slept in a bed last night. You had a roof over your head. I'm gonna give you 30 seconds to praise him. Come on, get that fire going. Get that fire going. Hold on one second. Woo. We about to go there. Woo. Tell your neighbor we about to go there. Why? Because we are excited. We are passionate. We are enthusiastic. We are thrilled. We are exuberant. We are emotional. I will bless the Lord on my soul. I want my emotions involved. I want to cry. I want to laugh. I want to shout. I want to lay out. I want to deliberate. I want to meditate. I can't help but praise him. Come on, take you 15 seconds and praise him like you love him. Hold up, hold up, hold up. We about to go there. Tell your neighbor we gonna go there, but we gotta get this right. I'm tired of people saying it don't take all that. You don't know what I've been through to get to where I am. Jesus said, the man has been forgiven much Love it much. That's all of us. We've all been forgiven. We've all been fixed. We've all been reformed. We've all been revived. We've all been renewed. Put on the garment of praise for 30 more seconds. Come on, shout to God. Fire, 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 fire. Fire, fire, Lord, Lord, baptize us with the Holy Ghost and fire. Bring the passion back. Bring the zeal back. Bring the emotion back. Bring the excitement back. Bring the enthusiasm back. Bring the inspiration back. Bring it back. Woo. Can you stay where you are? for 10 more seconds. Before I finish this, I got two many little pieces I need to do here. I need to know if anybody's starting to feel the fire in the building. Tell your neighbor it's warming up in here. The heat is on in the building. And my mama used to say, if you can't stand the heat, 
get out the kitchen because it's only going to get hotter in the house. You ain't seen praise yet. You ain't seen radical yet. You ain't seen a fanatic yet. I am a fan of God. I am crazy about him. Now watch. Y'all can come up here. I'm, I'm, this is your part. I'm about to put some pressure on y'all. Watch this. Oh yeah, that's it. That's fire. See fire? See, when fire breaks out, you try to tell your neighbor, don't throw a wet blanket on this fire. If I'm burning right now, leave me alone. So I was in South Africa. Whew. And I saw a fire burning across a field. And I asked the guy, I said, oh, y'all burning the grass and stuff so it'll come back greener. And he said, no, I don't know who started that fire. He said, but it wasn't on purpose. He said, somebody just threw out a match or something. Something that big caused this huge fire. It don't take but one. Tell your neighbor, throw the match, man. Throw the match. He said, I want you to watch this fire, Pastor Rick. And we pulled over on the side of the road. He said, I see this a lot out here. I said, are you serious? We're going to sit here and watch this fire? He said, oh, it's going to get interesting in a moment. About that time, wind blew. And when it did, that fire moved about 100 yards. Why do you think when they were gathered together in the upper room that suddenly there was a sound of a Russian mighty wind where they were sitting? and tongues of fire set on each of their head because it takes wind to make the fire move. I watched that fire, it was jumping 100 yards, 200 yards at a time. And it was approaching the road we were on. And I said, brother, it's coming toward the road. He said, exactly. He said, what do you think's gonna happen when it gets to that road? I said, it's gonna go out because there's eight lanes between it and the other field. He said, I want you to watch it, Pastor Rick. And that fire blew up next to that road. If I'm lying, I'm dying, and my grandma's name was not Mama Josie. That fire got to that road, and I watched a flame jump out the fire, and it danced its way over to the other side of the interstate and jumped in the next field. Because once the fire starts, it's almost impossible to put it out. Throw your hands up and shout, bring the fire back. In that day, Zechariah prophesied, and praise team and band, I want you to listen closely to me. In that day, I will make the governors of Judah. The governors are the ones that set the pace of praise. Governor, governor, govern, governors. They set the pace of praise. In that day, I will make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood. And like a torch of fire in a sheaf. See, if you ain't on fire, sit down. If you're not excited, sit down. We don't need you. And please, to God, don't be bringing strange fire in here. Ask a you. I'll leave it alone. Stop, Pastor Rick. Hearth means something that is excavated or bored, bored out. A hearth. The governors of Judah shall dig in a hole, a hole in the ground. They shall dig deep. If you don't dig deep, I can't preach deep. <laughs> <laughs> 
If you don't praise hard, I can't preach hard. Watch this. The hearth is a cauldron for cooking. <laughs> Got to preach by itself. It, it literally means the pulpit and the platform. In the last day, I will make my governors, my leaders, a hearth of fire. I will make them a flame among sheaves. I, 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 I don't understand where we can get to a place where preaching without fire is just okay. I don't get it. Now, I know every service, we're not going to be running laps around the building. We're not going to, that's right. Every now and then, you got to sit at the fire. You got to bring the fire. Are y'all with me right now? So when I read that, God told me this. He said, your pulpits and platforms are about to catch on fire. So here's what I saw. Preachers are going to get up to start preaching like they normally preach, and the fire is going to hit them. Praise teams are going to get on platforms and start singing, but all of a sudden, a fire is going to get on you. Because all it took was a match. God is good. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. The house of Joseph shall be a flame. And they shall consume Esau. Which means this. Where there is holy praise, it, it obliterates fleshly living. When you catch on fire with your praise, that little private sin you've been dealing with, that little Facebook chat you've been having and them little pictures you've been sending on your direct message, that little Snapchat thing that deletes itself quickly so nobody can see it. When you get your praise, when you get on fire for God, it burns Esau out of your life. When your purpose catches on fire, Adultery is not an alternative. When your purpose catches on fire, you do not sit around entertaining fornication. The problem ain't sin. The problem is ain't nobody on fire no more. Now I need to know, is this a house on fire? Hallelujah. I want you to just touch three or four people around you and tell them, catch on fire, man. Catch. Oh, get your fire back. Get your fire back. I hope my second grade tutorial has helped you today. I hope it has helped you. And I'm going to tell you young people, quit thinking like elementary students when it comes to God can't treat that Bible like a social study book. It's not your geometry lesson. This is eternal destiny. It's your responsibility to get in your Bible and dig in that Bible. Find stuff just like I found today. That stuff is not only relevant, it's revelatory. If you get one eighth of the message that was preached in this house today, you'll never be the same again.